So today we're going to learn a Sicha from volume 16 of Lakute Sichas. Uh, the Rebbe's edited talks that were published in uh, edited form, but the Rebbe, you know, edited the whole, uh, the whole Sicha. And we're going to be learning a talk that's connected to tonight's date, which is the 24th of the month of Tavis. Tonight's date on the calendar is the 24th of Tavis. And this is a talk that the Rebbe said in 1965, the end of 1965, and on this week's Parsha Shemot. And it's connected, like I said, to the 24th of Tavis, which is the yard site of the Alter Rebbe. But before we go into this talk, I want us to be able to appreciate some details about the Alter Rebbe's passing. The Alter Rebbe was physically very healthy person. He was only 67, almost 68 years, years old in his 68th year of life. Gematria Chaim. It was just before six, turning 68. Her birthday is Chayel. And Alter Rebbe was living in Russia in the city of Liadi. Now, during this period of time, we're talking now in the year of, it's it's basically towards the end of the year of 1812. So 211 years ago. And at that time, there was a war raging between the French under Napoleon and Russia. Now, this became a pretty intense war, not just for the government and the safety of people in both countries, but also because there was a spiritual war here. The Alter Rebbe felt very strong that the Russians need to win. There were many other great Hasidic leaders. One well-known one is Reb Shlomo of Karolin, who felt very strong that Napoleon should win. He felt that the Russia is not going to help the Jews to make our lives better and easier. And therefore he felt that Napoleon should win. The Alter Rebbe felt that Russia should win because he said that even though materially our life would not be more comfortable, but at least spiritually we would be completely still devoted to Hashem. Napoleon's goal was to win and make some kind of free-for-all in belief and taking away plea for belief of people focused on Hashem. Now this led to the point, just give you a little background of this, how important it was to the Alter Rebbe and how the dispute, or not dispute so much, but the different views amongst Jews were so strong that it was decided that year in 1812 before Rosh Hashanah that it was made up amongst Jewish communities that whoever is going to blow the shofar first that side that they want to win is going to win. So basically it boiled down to the Alter Rebbe and the Litvaks of who was going to be the one to blow the shofar first. And they say that the Shlomo Kaurilin with all his entourage, they got up early morning Rosh Hashanah and they went to the mikvah and they started to daven and daven quicker and quicker to get to the point after the Torah reading where you blow the shofar. The Alter Rebbe woke up early also with his chassidim, and they went to the mikvah. And just when they got to shul, before they started to daven, the Alter Rebbe said, this year we're blowing the shofar before davening. 
in in Karlin, they they the Rebbe of Karlin felt that the Alter Rebbe had already blown shofar, and he announced and he said, "No more reason to rush." The Alter Rebbe already blew the shofar, and it's going to be the way he sees. And this, I'm just pointing this out to so you understand that it was also a spiritual thing. There was also a part of the story is the Alter Rebbe had a chassid. His name was Reb Meisha Meislish. And this, Reb Meisha Meislish, tonight is the 24th of Tavis. Well, this class will also be a slightly afabringen, at least in the first couple minutes. And Reb Meisha Meislish knew French. And the Alter Rebbe sent him to work up his relationship in the government of Napoleon, in the army. So he could find that information and send it back to the Russian government. So basically, he was, in our language, he would be like a spy. And he went and he would send back information. And every time Napoleon and his army would come and they would try to ambush something of the Russians, somehow they were taken over and unsuccessful. Eventually, Napoleon himself once said that he suspects that somebody in his top, top secret uh, group is leaking out secrets. And he walked into the room during a meeting and Napoleon walked around the table and he said, somebody here is spying and we, this person needs to be caught and killed. And I suspect that it's going to be you. And he put his hand right on this Ramesha Meislish's heart to feel if his heartbeat would be pumping fast. And that's how he would know that he's the guilty person. And miraculously, he was stayed absolutely calm, even internally. And Napoleon said, Maybe not. And he went away. Later, after the war, or after this period of the war, when the Meisah Meisah met the Alter Rebbe and he told him the story, the Alter Rebbe said that the reason why you were able to overcome this, to have such control over your heart, is because you mastered what it says in the Tanya. In the Tanya, it teaches us to have what's called Mayach Shalit Al-Halev. The mind should control the heart. Famous idea brought down all over in Tanya and Hasidus in general, that the mind has to control the heart, the mind has to control the emotions. And this Ramesha succeeded in that, so the mind controlled over the heart, therefore he didn't give away that he was the spy, he was able to control himself. Napoleon himself understood that the Alter Rebbe was the strong spiritual leader that was praying and pushing that Russia should win. I even saw a letter to earlier today that was published that the Alter Rebbe actually sent out letters to people that they should pray for the Russian government and they should do whatever they can to support the Russian government to win. Imagine how far this went. Napoleon decided that it was time for him to come and take conquer Russia and he marched in with his army and this was a little bit after the holidays and he marched in with his army and he started heading towards Moscow. And everybody knew that this is, you know, it's close to the end for Russia. Dalterebbe never wanted to leave his city. He felt that if he leaves his city, it would cause a spirit of melancholy by his Hasidim and everybody else that, you know, that Russia, that Russia is going to lose. So he didn't want to leave. But then messengers came and said that Napoleon's army is coming and they're going to get you specifically. They're trying to get the Alter Rebbe as well. They said to the Alter Rebbe that you should pack up 
and you got to leave town. And the Alter Rebbe told his wife and his family, whoever was there from his family, not all his brothers or children were there, but whoever was there and Chassidim, they packed up all their belongings, they put it in their horse and buggies, and they started to travel over 60 wagons of people and, and belongings went with this exodus, leaving without knowing where you're going. Imagine, that's not easy. And getting, getting close into the Russian winter, you're asking for trouble. How would you know where to go? There was no GPS system those days. But what they did have is the real GPS. They had the God's positioning system. And the Alter Rebbe was at the, one of the front wagons. And the wagon in front of him was the Mitzvah Rebbe's son. His name was Reb Nachum Aaron. And he would be there in the front wagon. And whenever they would come to a fork in the road, he would go to his grandfather in the wagon behind him and he would say, Zayda, which way do we go? Dr. Rebbe would take his cane and he would lean on his cane and he would say, go to the right. Or he would say, go to the left. And this is the way they traveled. They traveled like this for a long time. And eventually they came one day to a fork in the road. And for some reason, there was a miscommunication of how the grandson got the message of which way to go. And he went the wrong way. A little while later, Dr. Ebbis said, what happened? Why are we on this road? And he said, well, I thought you meant this way. It turns out he realized it was a mistake. And Dr. Ebbis said, once we're already here, you have to continue. And they ended up getting and traveling until the city of Piena. And in Piena, they came to an Arab Shabbos, Parsha Vayishlach. When they arrived there, it didn't take too long. And Dr. Rebbe became ill. They stayed there from Parsha Vayishlach, Vayeshev, Miket, Vayigash, Vayichi, Shemos. So almost six weeks, they're basically going to be there in this town of Piena. The Alter Rebbe's health was declining during this period of time. And by the way, there, I, I forgot a detail to mention that there was one point that the Alter Rebbe said after they left. He said, we forgot something in my house. He sent back a wagon back to the house and he said, I forgot there my pair of slippers. He said, take the slippers and put the house on fire. Why? Because when the, when the, one of the, uh, the uh, legions of the army of Napoleon arrived in Liadi, the first thing they said is they, came, they need the Alter Rebbe's house. They came to the synagogue, they said he's at his house, they went to the house and they saw the house was on fire. Because the Alter Rebbe didn't want that they should try to hold on to anything that belonged to him because they would hold on to that to try to bring out and, and juice out, suck out any holiness that could have been there. Therefore, everything had to be burnt down. Napoleon's army then instructed in that case, the synagogue should be burnt down too. That Back to this part here in the story. The Alter Rebbe's grandson, by the way, after the, and uh, let's go back to this one. So it was Saturday night, Matzah Shabbos. And I'm going to read to you here. This is the beginning of the Sicha. This just brings you up to date with the Sicha. It was the Tzemach Tzedek, the Alter Rebbe's grandson, who was, I believe, 21 years old at the time, maybe 22. He was there 
and taking care of his grandfather. He was very close with his grandfather. As you remember the other story, when the Altarebbe, there was a spiritual decree from heaven that the Altarebbe's life was going to be taken away for spreading Chassidus. And the Altarebbe's daughter, Dvoralea, gave up her life for the Altarebbe. And Altarebbe lived another 15 years after that story. Or more, maybe maybe 19 years more, a long time. But in that story, she asked Al-Tarebbe to look after her, her son, the Tzemach Tzedek, which I think was two years old. And so the Tzemach Tzedek learned by the Al-Tarebbe, Al-Tarebbe took care of him, he, he hung out in Al-Tarebbe's room. There's a story of the Tzemach Tzedek when he was in the Al-Tarebbe's room once and he was watching his grandfather pray and he wanted to pray also. So he got some potatoes and str- some string and he made a hole in the potato and he tied the string to his head for a tefillin with the potato on his head and another one on a potato with a string through it around his arm and he made plate tefillin in the Alter Rebbe's room. Imagine how close he was. When the Alter Rebbe would go under his talus on the holidays for duchning, he would take the Tzemach Tzedek, his grandson, under his talus to, to sing. Imagine the bond there. And here the, the Tzemach Tzedek is there at the time of the passing of his dear grandfather, the Alter Rebbe. Tzemach Tzedek later becomes the third Chabad Rebbe for another time. We'll talk about that. So the Tzemach Tzedek writes the following. He says, the passing of the Alter Rebbe after traveling and moving, in other words, not living in a steady place of comfort, from running away from the French, which as we just spoke, until his arrival in Piena on Erev Shabbos Vayishlach in the year of Tafkov Ayin Gimel, which is 1812, on Saturday night, and you have to listen to these words, on Saturday night, Matzai Shabbos Kedush, at the end of the Holy Saturday of Parsha Shmos, on the 23rd day of the of the month, the night going into the twenty fourth day of Tevis. So let's say tonight, but it would be Saturday night. Saturday night at uh, uh, the, that day. Saturday was the twenty third of Tevis, going into the twenty fourth. Exactly or around, he says, around the half hour of eleven o'clock, meaning just around ten thirty p.m. The holy, the 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 uh, soul of my grandfather was interred. The holy ark. The holy ark is what he called the Aron Hakodesh. The holy ark was interred. He was Moir Yisrael, the light of Israel, Mashiach Hashem, and the anointed of God. This great soul passes away. Now. Just so a little uh, anecdote about the time of 10.30 at night or around 10.30 at Saturday night. And then we'll go into more details of the Rebbe's anecdotes here, the connection with the Parsha. But in the year of 1963 or 1960, end of 1962, it was 150 years from the Alter Rebbe's passing. And it was also that year, it was a Saturday Saturday night, the Rebbe said, Matzah Shabbos, the Rebbe, our Rebbe said that he's going to make a fabrengen exactly at the same time of the yard site, the time of day when the Alter Rebbe passed away. 
So after Shabbos, a long many hour for bringing, at Saturday night at 10.25 p.m., the Rebbe came into 7.70 for another for bringing that went on into the early hours of the next morning. So that was a special time. The Rebbe made a big storm, a big noise about learning through the whole Alter Rebbe's Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch and the Tanya, and he made a siyum on it, a conclusion of the books over there. So the timing is crucial. And as we say in English, timing is everything. So here the Rebbe analyzes this quote of time, and it's so profound in giving us the encouragement of energy that we need to have nowadays. And he says like this, it's known that all holidays of the year, and we could say the same is with all dates that are related to tzaddikim, to righteous people, their birthdays, their days of passing of righteous people, always have a connection to the general theme of the Parsha that you read that week. So too it's understood that the Torah um, that, that is connected to the Alter Rebbe here. And the Alter Rebbe said regarding the Torah, he said that Mendarf Leben Mitterzeit, we have to live with the time. What does it mean we have to live with the time? Hasidim didn't know what that means at the time. And they asked his brother, the Marul Rebbe Yehuda Leib, to go ask the Alter Rebbe what it means to live with the time. We know it, of course, Alter Rebbe doesn't mean with the newspaper. So what did he mean? So they, they asked Alter Rebbe what he means by living with the time. And Alter Rebbe said what it means is to live with the weekly Torah portion. That's what it means. Live with the time. There's something in the portion. So in our context here, even though the passing of the Alter Rebbe was the night going into the 24th of Tevis, meaning going into the Sunday, which was the next Parsha, which would have been what? What's the Parsha after Shemos? would be Parsha Ve'era. From here, the Tzemach Tzedek does not satisfy himself by just saying the date is the night of the 24th of Tavis, meaning going into the Sunday date, and he doesn't even hint it by saying the word Sunday, the date. He just says Saturday night. But he says Saturday night of Parsha Shmos, which was that Shabbos, not the next Sunday's day Parsha. Sunday's day Parsha is already the next Parsha. And he says of Shabbos, which was Shemos, which was the 23rd of Tevis. So we understand that the passing of the Alter Rebbe is connected specifically to the Parsha of Shemos, of this week's Parsha. And especially that the exact time of his passing, which was 11 o'clock, Sorry, the 11th hour, a half hour into the 11th hour, so that's about 10.30 at night. And we have many laws that are connected to, if a person, if things that are relevant to a Saturday night before midnight that are connected to the Shabbos. So that means all his, everything about his passing has to do with the Parsha Shemos, because that's the way that Tzemotzedek said it. There's a fascinating footnote here that I want to read to you. And he says like this, that it says in the Talmud that a person who dies on Friday, Erev Shabbos, that's a good sign. To die Erev Shabbos is a, is, a good, is a good luck. It's a good sign. Why? 
So Rashi says, because when a person passes away, that means, you know, as, as we say, you, 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 when you go to a cemetery, right? You say you go into the place where somebody is, you know, you, may you rest in peace, right? Why do we use that expression? Because after a full lifetime of working hard, you use the expression, you know, you rest in peace. So the, the Rashi points out that what the Talmud is saying, why it's a, a good luck thing. It's a good sign if a, for a person who dies Erev Shabbos because that means you're going right into Shabbos. You're going right into the time of rest. So you rest in peace, meaning fully resting with the Shabbos that's coming right, up, right, up, right away. So the Rebbe says that if Friday is a good sim, and the Talmud actually says that a person who dies Saturday night, that's a bad simon. It's a bad sign. The Arab Shabbos is a good sign because you're going right into rest. But if you die Saturday night, you're going back into the workday. So it's a bad. So the Rebbe says, look at the wording that the Talmud says. Focus. The, the Talmud says, it's a bad sign or a good sign for you. Ah. He says, that's an individual person. But a tzaddik who always prays for his flock Right, like a shepherd who takes care of their flock, for them it's the opposite, because it's not a, they don't live for themselves. They actually live for everybody else. As a matter of fact, it says that when a tzaddik passes away, his aura and his blessings of everything that he represents his whole life is actually there now more than ever. That means for a tzaddik to pass away on a Saturday night, that's amazing because he's now able to be given over to his flock even more when they need him the most, when you're going back into the weekday and the mundane week. By the way, it brings in the footnote that the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, also passed away on a Saturday night, as the previous Rebbe points out in one of his uh, memoirs. For our generation, even though it's, of course, hard for us to really understand what does it mean if the Rebbe passes away, but the last the Gimel Thomas, the third of Thomas, 1994, which was the last time they were able to see the Rebbe physically, right? When was that? The third of Thomas was on Saturday night. So it's an amazing thing. That's because their whole life is about giving themselves over to the people. So when it says a bad sign, it's only when it's a bad sign for Simon Raloi, for you, if it's an individual. But when it comes to Tzaddik, it's different. So back to our... In, in the inside of the Sicha, what, what is now, we're going to learn now the connection specifically to the Parsha Shemos. What's the theme of this week's Parsha? It's all about the exile and the slavery in Egypt. In the last two weeks, Parsha and Vayigash and Vayichi, what did we read there? We read that the Jews were in Egypt. That's true. And Joseph brought down his father and his brothers, his whole family, came back down to, came down to Egypt. But life was good for the Jews at that point in Egypt. For many, many years, life was very good in Egypt. Joseph was the in charge of the finances. Jacob comes down with his entire Jewish people, the 70 people, and they have a good, they live in Goshen, in the best parts of the land. So life was good. As a matter of fact, the Talmud puts it, the Medrash puts it, and Rashi brings it down, that as long as one of the tribes were alive, 
Jews were not subject to any kind of level of slavery or difficulties in Egypt. Life was good for us. The last one of Joseph's brothers to die was Levi, I believe. And that's when we went into Parsha Shemos. So in the last two weeks, Vayigash and Vayichi, it's talking about how life was good in Egypt. But in the, this week's Parsha Shemos, speaks about the exodus of Egypt. Next week's Parsha, Ve'era, star, starts to talk about the period where we start having the plagues. We start seeing the signs of redemption. The miracles. We even have, as the sages put it, it says that the year when the plague started, already from before Rosh Hashanah time already, we didn't have to work in the camps, physical labor. How much more so the week Parsha after that, Bo, which deals with the final three plagues and the rede- getting to the redemption of the Jews out of Egypt. But Parsha Shemos, the entire Parsha deals with the details of the difficulties that the Jews had in slavery. To the point that the end of the Parsha it says that Pharaoh got so frustrated that he pounded on us even more difficult labor on us. To the point where Moses, the concluding of the Parsha, he says to God, why did you send me to Pharaoh? From the day you sent me to Pharaoh, things got worse. So what's going on over here? What's going on over here? Parsha Shemos is the worst. Talking about the worst stage that we had. So we could say the simple connection of Parsha Shemos, which deals with the exodus of Egypt, with the exile of Egypt, to the passing of the Alter Rebbe. We could say that the passing of the Alter Rebbe was in a time when he was in exile. As the Tzemach Tzedek said, he was running away from the French. And he was in transit the entire time until he came to the city of Piena. As I mentioned to you, many of the details that are brought down in a letter from the Mittal Rebbe that he wrote to, to Moshe Meislish. So the point is, you see, that it's a similar thing. It's both talking about the times of exile. Now, we know that there's a very famous two letters that the Alter Rebbe wrote to the Hasidim in Israel. They were Hasidim of Remendel Vitebsk. He was a great student of the Magad of Mazrich, a colleague of the Alter Rebbe. And as with a famous trip when the Alter Rebbe decided he was going to travel to Israel, they were going to move to Israel. And on the way on the trip, the Alter Rebbe and Remendel Herodaka were together. And they said, you know what? We can't leave all the Jews in Russia abandoned. Why don't one of us go to Israel and one of us will stay here? Mendel Herodaka moved to Israel. The Alter Rebbe stayed in Russia. Eventually, Mendel Haradaka passed away, and Alter Rebbe wrote the famous two letters that were written in in this in the subject of of death, of passing, especially of a tzaddik. One was to the students of Mendel Haradaka, and one was also to Levi Yitzchak Martitchum and the passing of, I think, his daughter. But the point there in those subjects is Alter Rebbe writes that for a tzaddik on the day of his passing, and every year at the yard site, everything that they stood for their entire life becomes revealed on the day of their passing. 
So, since everything happens by divine province, how much more so when it comes to a tzaddik, the leader of a generation, it's understood that this adult, the Rebbe's passing, was in exile while he was traveling, running away in exile. That shows us the deepest connection to what he stood for. What was the whole point of the Alter Rebbe's life? What, what everything culminates of your whole life culminates on the day of your passing. What did he stand for all his life? His good deeds and his Torah study. So that gets revealed specifically in a time when we're in an exile. To the point that he himself passes away in the exile. That means, as we could see, that even the anniversary date from 15 years ago, when now 15 years before this, in 1798, when the was released from jail, and every year the 19th of Kislev becomes the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus, the day we celebrate his release from prison. Where did he celebrate that anniversary date in 1812? in the exile while he was running away. That means it was such an exile that even the day of his celebration, imagine your, you know, a wedding anniversary, you'd be in exile. Okay, well, that would be a terrible feeling. That would just show you the extent of the exile. Why does he mention about that the 19th of Kislev was also while he was in exile? Because what's the whole point of the 19th of Kislev? It's the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus. The whole point of all his work that he did to bring down Hasidus into this world was shown to us by the day of his release from jail that even in the time of exile, we could still have the highest levels of our relationship with Hashem, even here in this world, in the exiles. And every year on that Rosh Hashanah day, it shows even more. And every year, on every Rosh Hashanah, you get a light that you never had before in this world. So on the day of his passing, it shows even more, as we said, because on the day of a passing, everything of your life that you stood for comes out. Now we can understand this a little bit better based on the theme idea of of the Parsha Shemos, which is all about the exile and the slavery in Egypt. We spoke many times that the name of a Parsha holds within it the theme of the whole Parsha. In this case, he says it's not understood. What's the name of Parsha Shemos? Shemos, what does it mean, Shemos? Shemos means names. You say, Ma Shem Shalcha. What is your name? Shem means a name. Shemot, many names. How does the Parsha begin? In the whole book of Exodus, it begins, Israel. These are the names of the children of Israel, meaning Jacob, right? Joseph and his family, and he, right? We have the, all the 70 people that went down into Egypt. And we mention them by names. So then it's all about names. So he says, even though the whole Parsha talks about the exile, but the name of the Parsha means names. So the Rebbe says, we have three questions on this idea that the Parsha is called with the, with, with the word names. The sages tell us that as long as one of Jacob's brother, Jacob's children were alive, or actually, as long as one of those 70 people 
that came down into Egypt were still alive. The slavery of Egypt did not begin. That means by telling us that these are the names of the children of Israel that came into Egypt, that means those names did not allow us to have the exile of Egypt. So you're trying to tell me that the whole Parsha talks about the sadness of the exile, but the name of the Parsha name references the people that did not allow the exile to start. We were living in Egypt, but not under slavery. We were living well. So what's the connection of the name of the Parsha, which reminds us of the living well time? Number two, Rashi says, why do you have to tell me the names of these children? We already know who the people were that came down to Egypt. We know all the family names. Why do you have to tell me again these, the names of everybody? And the answer is, whenever Hashem wants to show us how precious we are to Him, Hashem counts us. Ten times in the Torah, Hashem counts the Jews. Hashem doesn't even need to count us once. He knows. Why are you counting? Because when you count something that's precious to you, you count it often. I don't know if anybody here has a big stack uh, or stash of cash. If you do, probably every once in a while you count it. Or a lot of diamonds or watches, something that's very precious to you, you count it from time to time. So Hashem counts us from time to time to show on His love to us. That means, but, that tells you that Hashem is counting us, the names, because He loves us. What does that have to do with the theme of the parasha that's all about exile and suffering? You love us or are you talking about suffering? Why is the name of the parasha representing the idea of loving us if the theme of the parasha is the opposite of love? And the third question is, we know that the name of all these people, the Jews those days, the, the sages tell us in a medrash, it tell, goes through it, it tells us that each name represented the redemption of the Jews out of exiles. That means by thinking about these names, there's some kind of illusion of words or verses that talk about the redemption of exile. One second. So the names tell us freedom, redemption. That's the name of the Parsha, Shemos, redemption, freedom. So the Parsha itself talks about sad things. But then why is the name of the Parsha something that's positive and good? Doesn't the name of the Parsha have to represent the theme of the Parsha? So to explain this, it's known a point that one of the nice things, one of the, the qualities that's a positive quality of the service that we have when we serve God in the times of exile expresses itself in the point that when you're pushed to a corner, you use strengths inside you that you never knew you had. Hidden strengths that are deep inside you all of a sudden come out, right? We all know this. There are times when a person, like the, I'll give you an example. They say once there was a story of a, of a woman, I think in New York, that her child got hit by a car right in front of her and got stuck under the car. And the mother went and somehow she was able to lift the car all by herself. They were able to get the child out. How do you explain that? Because on important times of need, 
strengths that are deep, deep inside that you never access them come out. One of the unique things in the times of exile is that the power in a Jew to be self, to go on self-sacrifice comes out. What's the name of that power that a Jew has that's so deep inside that helps you to go on a self-sacrifice? How does it happen that a Jew in the time of exile is able to even go on a self-sacrifice? How is it possible that you should have today soldiers that should go into the front lines just to be able to protect our people? How is it possible? Where does this ability come into a human person? And the answer is, there's a place in call, inside us called the Yechida. Yechida is the highest level of your soul. Every soul, every Jewish soul, is made up of five parts. We'll go from the bottom up. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. Yechida is called the oneness level. Yechida means oneness it's, or, or its ownness. It's its own thing. That's the deepest part of your soul that never really even comes into the body. It's so spiritual, bonded, oneness with God. But if a Jew has to access it, it will come out. Perhaps this is why we find in the Jewish history, there were times where unfortunately Jews were pushed to a corner to convert and drop all their Judaism and to become you know, a non-Jew. What was it that triggered in such a person that didn't even practice Yom Kippur? But to give up being a Jew, that they couldn't do. They could not get themselves to do that and they would rather die. Why? Because it was that Yechida, that level of Yechida, that oneness bond that you have with Hashem that you can never let that go. So one of the unique things about the exile is when we're pushed our corner, when we're in exile, when we don't see godlinesses, is that my relationship with God is no more in a revealed way where I see God all over the place. In time of exiles where you don't see God. And that's when this place of the soul, the level that could take you to self-sacrifice for God, comes out. Therefore, in the time of the temple, in the base of Mikdash, when the temple stood in Jerusalem, when we saw godliness all over the place, what was the main emphasis of a Jew's relationship with God? Only with your revealed strengths. You felt godliness. You, you, you lived it. You breathed it. You, with your intellect. With your emotions. That means everything your relationship with God was because you understood it. You enjoyed it. You appreciated it. Therefore, at that stage, you didn't need to access. You didn't need to reveal a place that's so deep inside that's beyond intellect. It's in the time of exile when the godly light is concealed. Or as it says, and as it says in the book of Psalms in chapter 79, over there King David says, Signs we don't see. We don't see any heavenly signs. You hardly see those heavenly signs, if any, or if ever, right? And nevertheless, what do you do? You still want to awaken yourself to serve God. That means that you overcome the struggle when you don't see godliness. And nevertheless, you realize that you want to be bonded with God. Look how many Jews always, especially today, when the, when the godliness is even more concealed. 
and you have even more questions which don't make sense on the relationship with God. How could he do this to his children? How could this happen? And nevertheless, a deep place inside us of the unique, unique, uniqueness of the oneness of our relationship comes out. And that's what happened in the time of exile and in all exiles. It's because you were pushed to a, a, such a deep place that the essence of the bond that you have with Hashem comes out. And this really, in the time of Egypt, was the preparation for the giving of the Torah. Because what was the whole purpose of giving of the Torah? That we should bring godliness down into this world of materialisms. Bring godliness down into this material world. Through taking, let's just say, leather straps from an animal and putting it on and making a blessing on it, that's called bringing godliness down into this world. That's how you connect with the essence of the Torah. So the essence of your soul, your relationship with God came out in Egypt, which was the preparation, what happened when we left Egypt, the whole goal was to get to the mountain and get to the Torah, which was the revelation of the essence of the Torah, because the essence of the Torah is to bring God into this world. So that bonding happens here. So therefore, in the time of exile, even though we don't see godliness in a revealed way, and nevertheless, it there is an opportunity where the essence of your soul comes out, this is understood and hinted to us in the word of the name of the Parsha called Shmois names. Even though, as we asked before, seemingly the names is a positive thing. We said seemingly the names reveals the love relationship that Hashem has with us because that's why He's calling us and looking at our names all the time. The connection to the name of the parsha is because it is through this which we can understand what does it mean a name of a person in general. He says there's two there's two components when you look at the name of the name names of a person. On one hand, you don't need a name. What person? Who needs a name? If you were living alone, do you need a name? What do you need a name for? The only reason why you have a name is for somebody else to identify you, to call you. That means that a name seems to be completely an external entity, an external need. It's nothing to do with an internal thing. And in this idea, you see that a name doesn't even really represent who you are. The fact is, we could find many people that have the same name. Many people could be called Barry, and each person is a different Barry, or a different Beryl, or a different Yankel, or a Shmuel, or a Chana, right? You could have many people with the same name, and every person could be completely different from the other one. So that tells you that the name does not mirror the essence of a person. It's, an ex, it's a complete external idea name. Just for somebody else to call you and to know that you're Beryl Ben this and that's Beryl Ben Shmuel, right? That's on one, on one view, names are completely a superfluous idea. Just for other people to call. If you lived all by yourself, you don't need a name. On the other hand, you see, that it's, it's a known idea that the name of a person is connected to the essence of a person. 
It's not something just on the external revealed part, oh, that's your name. It actually is connected. What's the proof? When you call a person by the name and you say, hey, Yankel, you see that the person turns around with his whole body. His whole essence turns around to you. Why? I just called you by your name. Why do you turn around with your whole body, your whole essence and every? Oh, yes, how can I help you? What do you need? Whatever. Right? That means, when you think about it like this, that the name does represent the essence of the core of a person. And another example in the essences. You see that if a person, may God protect for this to happen, but if a person faints, what does it mean when a person faints? That the energy of the person, your life, goes into a faint that you can't see in a revealed way that this person is living. person passes out. How do you awaken the person that passes out? One of the ways is, is to call out their Hebrew name. That means that your Hebrew name is connected to the essence of who you are. Because by saying the name, you wake up. I once saw a written note from the Rebbe where somebody wrote in that you have to scream the person's name into his ears. The Rebbe said it doesn't say you have to scream it. You just call it out is enough. Because the name goes all the way into the essence. In this component you see that name is connected to the essence of the soul. You have this idea, also it's brought down in Hasidus, you have, let's say, a light and you have the source of the light. So let's say today you would call it the light bulb and the light that comes off the light bulb. Which one is greater? The light bulb or the light that comes off, off the light bulb? On one hand, you would say the light bulb itself is better because that's the source. Without the source, you would have nothing. On the other hand, you'd say, who needs the source? I need the light in here in my room. Right? When you talk about a name, a name in a way is even higher than the idea of a light. Because in a light, it doesn't mean if I have light, if I open my window shade and I let light in, I don't have the sun itself. I only have the ray of the sun. But when you call a person's name, you're taking the essence of the person. So that shows you that name actually gets the essence, the source of it. So that means that the essence of a person is expressed specifically when there's no connection or revealed connection between the name and the person. So that's how we see it in the time of exile. When you don't see the connection of God in a revealed way into this world, that reveals the essence of the person and their connection with Hashem. Because the greatest connection is in the absence. When there's the absence, you realize how bonded you are with Hashem. What happened now, let's just call in the last two months, all of a sudden since this war started in Israel, all of a sudden people's souls open. What happened? Because when you don't see Hashem in the darkest ways, that's when the deepest essence of the person comes out. In other words, when Hashem is in a revealed state, like in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, no problem. I see you, God. I love you. You see the miracles every day. I want to bring you an offering. I want to pray to you because I see you in the front. So that's only my revealed parts of me. But if you want to get into the deeper parts of me, the deeper parts comes out when I don't see you. That's when I start getting that strong yearning to it. So that's what happened when the Jews were in exile in Egypt. 
It's the exile that brought out the uniqueness of the essence of the Jew and Hashem. And this is the connection between what happens to on a date when a tzaddik passes away, all his deeds, his Torah and his service that he does to Hashem, that happens, like this case, the tzaddik that passed away, connected to Parsha Shemos. And this is why the Tzemach Tzedek said, when he wrote down, when did his grandfather pass away? He said, Saturday night of Parsha Shemos. He didn't say it. Saturday night going into Parsha Vaera the next week. He wanted to emphasize Shemos. Because you have, just like you have in a person, you have that level of Yechida, that oneness that's deep inside you. In Torah, you also have different elements of Torah. Mainly you have four parts to the Torah. But you also have a fifth level. Just like the soul has five parts, four which you access all the time, the fifth one is reserved, Yechida, for times of self-sacrifice. So too in the world of Torah. You have Pshat, Remez, Drush and Sod, and you have Chassidus. You have the simple way of understanding Torah, that's called Pshat. Remez is called through hints, things that allude to certain interpretations of ways of translating things that you see in the hintings of words. Then you have what's called Durush, the homiletical parts of the Torah. Then you have Kabbalah, called the Said, the secrets. And then you have Hasidus, which is the flavor to the whole thing. So you see that when the Alter Rebbe passes away, we said that all the work of the Tzaddik gets revealed in the time of his passing. What does that mean? That connected to Shemais in the time of exile, the level of that hidden level comes out, the level of Yechida of your soul, the essence, which is the revelation also on the fifth level of the Torah, which is Chassidus, the way it's understood through intellect. That means just like we speak by a person that is reveals the essence specifically in a time when you're in a time where things are concealed. So too, the most inner parts of the Torah comes out when Chassidus comes out. Because Chassidus, when Chassidus came out, it came in a way that you could understand it in a very material, philosophical way. Meaning, the Alter Rebbe said that he wants that Chassidus should come so into so much into your intellect that you should even be able to explain it to your animal soul. You should be able to explain to your animal soul how your animal soul could also serve Hashem. You know, there was once a Chassid side story that he once asked his teacher if he's allowed to translate the words in Yiddish when he davens. It's like saying today. You go to your rabbi and you say, can I read the Hebrew and also translate it in English? So those days, everybody spoke Yiddish. So this boy asked his teacher, is there a problem halachically for me to say the words and translate it into Yiddish? Like, so, you know, I, so his teacher said, why do you want to translate it into Yiddish? He said, well, I want my animal soul to understand what I'm saying. So in other words, you say to yourself, why should you translate it into English? A very good reason. So the animal that's inside you should understand what you're saying. You're praising God. You want the animal inside you to understand what's God. What's this world? What's the purpose of everything, right? Or as the famous expression from the Alter Rebbe, he said, he said the Indian, the idea of Hasidus is 
that it comes so connected that it brings down the Torah so it's such a level of intellect that it helps you to change the nature of the way you do things. We are brought up in a way, all most of us, that we like to do things just why? Because that's my nature. You ask a person, can you come to study a class? No, 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 no. At night, my mind is done. I need to unwind. I have to waste time now, right? Or as the better expression is, kill time, you know? Right? What does that mean? Hasidah shows you that it's possible to change your nature. Your nature till now was that after a certain time, I'm done, I can't, my mind can't focus anything. Oh, we're going to find a way how to change the nature. That's what Hasidus does. And when that nature that you change now becomes a second nature, we work on changing that too. We never want to be comfortable to do things just because that's my nature. My nature is I could learn for an hour. My nature is I could daven for 10 minutes. We always want to stretch that a bit. And this is the point, the thread that connects these two points here. What happens on the day of the passing? Everything that they stood for comes out. What comes out? This point. The essence of the soul comes out to the places where it's the most uncommon to see any light there. That is where Chassidus comes. It helps us to, for it to bring it out. What is this idea of Chassidus and specifically Chassidus Chabad? What's the emphasis of this? It's very simple. Chabad Chassidus means that you take ideas of the Torah and yes, from all the four levels, the simple understanding, the remez, the homiletical and Kabbalah. You take all that and you bring it down in a way that you could actually internalize it with your intellect, with all levels of intellect, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. That means you really, really, really get it. You really, really can understand it. It's not just something that, ah, I learned it in school, I don't know what it means. I read those words and I don't know what it means. I could repeat those words, but I have no idea what it means. You know what? That was all worked very nicely until the Alter Rebbe's days. People used to be able to say every day the Shema without understanding a word what it means. But today we need to understand it. And we have the tools. That's what Hasidus did. It gave us the tools to all kinds of levels of Torah that we can understand it with our comprehension. And if you understand it well with your wisdom and understanding and then you reach to the level of knowledge. Knowledge means you bond with it. Then you could live it because you're bonded with it. And this is what's a fascinating thing if you get into the details and the Rebbe is going to show us this beautiful idea that it's not just in connection to Saturday night when he passed away because it was Saturday night of Parsha Shmos which is the idea of re- in the exile because that's the whole Parsha Shmos all about the exile and only in the exile is where it gets revealed the essence of your connection and that's why he tells us all this. He tells us even more something here. Look into the author of his name. The name that you got, as we said before, call the name and you reach the essence of a person. Because it's all in the name. What is Dr. Rebbe's name? Shneor Zalman. You know that 
the Baal Shem Tov said that Shnei Ur, if you say the word Shneir slowly, you get to hear the word. Shneir is Shnei Ur. Shnei means two. Shnaim, like Shnei. Or means light. He said he's going to be the pillar of two lights. He was born on a Wednesday. What was created on the fourth day of the week? The sun and the moon. The two pillars of light. He said he's going to become the two pillars of light. He's going to teach two pillars of Torah in this world. He's going to make a code of Jewish law book which summarizes all the laws of Torah in a way where it's codified. So he becomes the pillar of light in the revealed parts of the Torah and he becomes a pillar of light in the esoteric, in the hidden parts of the Torah. And that's the book of the Tanya. So that's why his name was Shneor. He combined the two worlds of the Torah into one. The hidden parts and the revealed parts. He brought it all out together in one. What's the name Zalman? Zalman is the word Lazman. Zman means time. What does it mean time? Of course to be time efficient. To be perfection in time. If you want to accomplish things, focus on time. I remember my father used to tell us when we were kids that his mentor in yeshiva, his mashpia, would say, cherish time. He said, it's easier to wake up on time than go to sleep on time. He said, make sure to go to sleep on time. That's the key, go to sleep on time. Today's day, I try always to encourage people, especially our own children, don't take your phone to your room. Because then it moves from time to called wasting time. And even though it's very important and the president of your country may need to reach you, that's probably true, but don't, you don't need it. You don't need it because it becomes a waste of time. If you want to be efficient with your time, have a time when you go to sleep on time. But here is point is here like here is another point about time. If you have both parts of the Torah, the revealed and the concealed parts of the Torah, the job is to bring it down into time, meaning bring it down into this material world that's made up of time. What is this world? The world in Hebrew is called Olam. You know people say called Olam Kulo. What's Olam? means a world. Olam is the same letters of Helam, which means concealment. Light up the world with the two points of light, the Shneor, both lights. And this gets done through the Hasidus that the Rebbe started and revealed to us. As, as we spoke many times, the Rebbe concludes here like this. The whole point of everything is that things that are higher than our reach, things that are higher than what's called the chain of reactions that things that come into this world should come down and revealed into this world. That means things that seem to be concealed in the times of exile, we should be able to reveal it. Even though, as we said before, specifically in the time of exile, that's when you get, you reveal the most deepest places of your soul, the yechida part of your soul. 
Nevertheless, what's the goal of the exile is? Is to get to the Geula. You remember in 1991-92 when the Rebbe said, he said the, the difference of the spelling of Geula, which means exile, and Geula, which means redemption, he said it's only one difference, the letter Aleph. If you add the letter Aleph into the word Geula, exile, you have the word Geula, redemption. The whole point here is in this case here, is to make that wherever things are concealed to bring out the essence of our relationship with Hashem, that part of our soul, bring it out in a way where it should be able to penetrate in the most deepest places inside you into the essence of a person. Then the Rebbe says we can add, perhaps, he says, we can add the following statement. I just want to preface this word of the Rebbe, perhaps we can add something. And the word perhaps... In Hebrew, it's called the Yeshleimar. Some say, so one time, there's a story that's quoted that the Rebbe Rashab, who was the fifth Chabad Rebbe, he once said a discourse, and he said, the Yeshleimar, and some could say, maybe we could say, and he gave an explanation something. Later, his son, who later became the previous Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, he was young then, and he repeated over the discourse that his father said. He told it back to his father to make sure he got it right. And when he said it over to his father, he didn't say that some say. He said, the fact is a so-and-so. And his father said, why did you say it as a fact? I said it. Maybe you could say it. You're saying it as a fact. So he told his father, he said, a maybe by a Rebbe is already a for sure thing by a chassid. You see, if the Rebbe says something that possibly this is a good way to interpret it for us, if he could say it as a possibly, that's enough for us. So he says like this, we could say that this is really the accomplishment of the one whose yard site it is tonight, the Alter Rebbe, the founder of the teachings of Hasidus Chabad, that the essence of the most deepest parts of the Torah, which means that it's higher than any levels of forming things higher than taste and an intellect you would think that you could only understand or grasp these esoteric parts of the Torah only through acceptance like Kabbalah I just accept it or Amuna with faith even those parts you could actually now access it in a way where you could grasp it with all your levels of intellect and if you could grasp something with intellect, it could have an effect on your emotions. What does that mean? That it could have an effect on your love, how you love Hashem, and how you have an awe of Hashem. And this is hinted to by the fact that he passed away on which Saturday night? Saturday night, going into Sunday. And what's the Parsha of Sunday? Va'era. What's the, what does it mean, Va'era? It means Hashem revealed Himself. Even though He didn't say that in His Tzemach didn't write that, that it was the beginning of the Parsha of Air because that was revealing. Revealing first came through the concealment where you don't see that word. So all this should come in a revealed way from higher than any levels that we could reach to. It should come down in a way that it should be revealed in a way that we could see it internally. So with this,